As we start this morning, I just want to just say thank you to Asbury. It has been such a treat to be here. Jessica and Hunter, they are awesome. Give them a hand. They have been... We travel a lot, and the hospitality which, which you all have just bestowed on our family, we just want to say thank you. It speaks so well about Asbury and who you are in Christ. Uh, one of the most exciting things for our kids was the fact that they had goodie bags last night with their favorite candy and snacks and a teddy bear each to go to sleep with last night. So I want to start this morning by introducing you to my tribe. Let's see if I can get this to work. Am I doing it the right way? Maybe I need to... Oh, they can see it. I can't see it. Oh, I thought I was going to see it. Okay. Where's my family? There we go. Okay, this is my tribe right here. I was looking for my family right there. Okay, so my husband is the guy, the big guy. 23 years we've been married. We met at seminary. We got engaged eight weeks after meeting and got married four months after that. So be careful if you're not married yet. We do everything fast, so we were like, why waste time? Let's just get married and get on with everything. So we've been married. Now, I did find out a little bit later that he found out that I had a scholarship, which paid for my books, it paid for my housing, it paid for my tuition. So I realized after getting married to him that he actually married me for my money. <laughs> so anyway, but he and I, we have really enjoyed partnering together in ministry, in marriage, and in parenting. The kids you see there, my oldest is Jolie. And she is 13. The second child you see there is a boy, Eden Samuel, and the youngest is Phoebe. We have one more you do not see. Her name is Joy. We miscarried our second child, and we count her because God is the author of life. So I have four children. It's just that she gets to be raised by Jesus while my other three get me and Chad. So she gets the good end of all of that, I guess. My children are third culture kids, and so this year has been hard for them. We moved out of Thailand in June came to the United States hoping to move immediately to Malaysia to set up a new base, and we have been stuck ever since. My kids have lived in six homes in the past 11 months, but my oldest daughter keeps us all in line, and she says, home is wherever mom and dad is and wherever you lay your head. We are supposed to be pilgrims on this walk of life, trying to proclaim this name of Jesus. Now, as you see in the slide right here, the 1040 window, this is where we do our work. The 1040 window is the area of the world 10 to 40 degrees north latitude. It's where the most condensed populations of unreached people groups reside. In that window, there are 2 billion people who have never heard the name Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Jesus. Say it again. Jesus. Say it again. That is the name that when we are in Asia, we see person after person who's never even heard the good news of Jesus because they don't even know that name exists. And that's the area of the world we want to see come to Christ because that's what Jesus says when the gospel is preached to every ethnic group, then the end will come. And we're trying to get Jesus back. That's what we're trying to do is get Jesus back. And he wants his bride of Christ to be complete. To give you an example of what this looks like, this guy in the pink, South Asian man, met him at when we were stopping to get a snack. We began a conversation with him. We asked him if he had heard of Jesus. And he said, I've never heard of Jesus. And we said, he's a God. He's God, the most high God named Jesus. He said, I have never heard of that God. What does that God do? An educated man of South Asia, no idea 
who this Jesus is. Amy Carmichael, who is one of my heroes, she said that souls are more or less firmly attached to bodies. So at 1040 Connections, we do holistic mission because Jesus cares for the person in all ways. And it's through that that we, everything we do that meets a human need of a person leads to church planting. Everything. So water well, starting school, health seminars about the value of the unborn and the mother, any cataract surgeries, anything that we do, it all leads to the planting of churches. I can tell you that because of God's grace and holding to a holistic mission, there are over 20,000 villages now that have a church planted in them. Not buildings, reproducing house churches that will continue on no matter what happens in the world, these churches will be able to continue. My prayer for you today is, as I go over this about one name, one love, and one audience, is my prayer is that you will be encouraged and challenged to give it all up for Jesus Christ. He is worthy. And I can tell you from our work among every, multiple religious blocks, Jesus Christ is truly the answer that our world needs. It is in the name of Jesus and you are on his team. You sit in a privileged position on the team of the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom that gives life. The author of life gives abundant life. And the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But you're not on that team. You're on a team, and if you will stay committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and his word, you will be an ordinary believer who does very extraordinary things. That's what the word of God teaches. Today I want to quickly go over this passage. Now, Daisy, thank you so much for reading it. I have to tell you, I was in a Walmart the other day, and I was thinking about when, if I were about to move back to Asia, I would be buying this. I burst into tears because all of a sudden I thought, will I ever get into Asia, to China again? Will I ever step back into China? So to have Daisy read the scripture today was just a treat for me because God is doing something in China and he wants to do something with ethnic groups all over the world. This passage, one name, in Acts 3, which she read Acts 4, Acts 3, it's the story, you know the story. John and Peter, they're walking, they're going into the temple and there's a man who's been a lame since birth and he's sitting there, someone carries him there every day to the beautiful gate, and he begs. So he begs to John and B Peter, asks for money. And then they look at him, and they make him look at, back towards them, and they say, I don't have money to give you, but what I do give you is this, in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. People are astounded at this miracle. For 40 years he's been lame, and now he's walking, and he's dancing, and he's praising God. And so Peter takes this moment and he begins to preach. And he says, why are you surprised at this? It's not by our power or our godliness that this is taking place. It's about the power of God. And it's through the name of Jesus that this man has been healed. Well, then you get to Acts chapter 4. And the people, the, the religious leaders, they are upset because, Jesus, because Peter and John are just teaching the people something they do not want taught. And so... They arrest them. A situation happening every day in our world. Believers are being arrested. And then they say, by what power or what name did you do this? 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then they go on and say, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by by which we must be saved. Salvation belongs to whom? In Revelation, salvation belongs to our God, and the name of this God is? Salvation belongs to whom? Jesus, to our God, all ethnic groups in Revelation 7, surrounding the throne, worshiping this Jesus, this one name. I can tell you there's no way for a Muslim to have harmony and peace unless it comes through Jesus Christ. For the Hindu, there's nothing, there's no God that can show them God's love to pay for their sin but Jesus. It is one name. This is the Sudanese governor of the Blue Nile region we met years ago. We had gone in to equip church planters in the Sudan, and we were trying to get permission to show the Jesus film to an unreached group. So we had to meet with the Blue Nile region leader in his tukul, in his hut. They brought us Coca-Cola, because Coca-Cola is all over the world, but Jesus needs to get all over the world. Sitting there, he begins to talk about how educated he is and begins to talk about all the, you know, what his parents were religiously, what his kids were, what he is. And at the end of it, he said, but we all know that all religions are the same. Well, this is like a softball, you know? It's like, boom. And so I prayed and I said, Jesus, how can we enter into this in respect to the Blue Nile Ridge governor and get permission to show the Jesus film? And so I said, I love to travel. I've traveled into many different cultures, but did you know I have found that every culture struggles with the same two things? And he said, what did you find? Because he was an educated man. And I said, every culture struggles with doing wrong things to one another, sin. Every culture struggles with sin. And I said, and every culture struggles with death. There's not been one culture to be able to figure out how to defeat death. And I said, so as I've studied world religions, I was looking for a God who could answer both of those questions. Then I was silent. And he said, well, did you find the God? I said, I did. And I began to share with him that Jesus Christ answers the problem of sin on the cross, and he answers the problem of death by rising from the dead. And he looked at us, and he said, maybe someday I will speak the same message. We left, we were escorted out after telling him why we were there. A runner came later to give us the permission and he said, what took you all so long to ask to show the Jesus film? The world is hungry, but the name of Jesus, the name of God is not offensive. It is the name of Jesus that is offensive. In Thailand, we were walking on the streets of Thailand and we were seeing so many female slaves with Western men. And as we walked, we were discouraged, went into a Burger King, sat down, just so, so upset. And Chad looked at me and he said, Leslie, there's a deal being made right behind you. And I said, Chad, if they get up before I do, I'm going to talk to them. And Chad said, well, you better get ready because they're moving now. What to say? What to say? And so I immediately jumped up because I believe God's just looking for willingness. He is not looking for extraordinary brilliance. He's just looking for someone willing. And so I stood up, and I didn't look at the man. I just looked at the woman, and I touched her on the shoulder. And she turned towards me, and I said, 
do you speak English? A little. God, whose name is Jesus, when he sees you, he smiles. And she looked at me, and she looked down and looked back up, and she said, thank you, thank you. She turned around and left. I sat back down, and this Aussie man came running from another corner of Burger King and got right into my face, and he was this close to me. And he says, how dare you bring that name into this country? And my husband, who was sitting on the other side and watching this man totally in my face, he said, well, what she, she's, he's very calm. He said, what she said is not wrong. God loves that woman, and God, whose name is Jesus, loves you too. That didn't go over so well. <laughs> because Jesus' name is hated by those who are not of him. And he called Jesus some horrible names. When we were leaving, I wasn't upset or shaking because of what he, the man had done to me. But realizing that the words that that man said to Jesus, it was just like piercing Jesus. And Jesus is Jesus is still persecuted today. It's the name of Jesus. In a church planting movement we're a part of, a new church planter had just been equipped. She goes into her area. All of the female cows quit giving milk. They decide it's because she has cursed the village because she has become a follower of Jesus. The cows will give no milk. And she said, no, 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 I can help. And she prayed in the name of Jesus for the cows to give milk. The cows gave milk. And then the people said, well, we prayed to many deities. We don't know it was really Jesus who did this, so let's just thank all of the deities. The cows quit giving milk. And they came back to her and they said, can you do the prayer again? And she said, in the name of Jesus, give these cows milk so their calves can drink for our livelihood. And the cows gave milk. The name of Jesus. One name for salvation. Several years ago, I was teaching a curriculum called Voice for the Voiceless about the preciousness of life within because of the author of life and the value of the mothers. And I had taught it in many areas of Asia, but then all of a sudden, I went to equip a group of, I thought, 10 people to teach it themselves. And when I walked in, there were men in the audience. Men, ten, four men there waiting to be trained. Well, you have to understand, in Asia, you don't talk about women's reproduction with mixed audiences. I was like, can't do it. Uh-uh. I'm about to talk about how a baby is formed. Uh, I can't do it. So I walked outside, and I argued with God, and I said, Jesus, I can't teach this with those four men in there. This is the space for the women to be equipped. And I felt the Lord say to me, he said, teach it the way you always have. Combine the science with my name. And did you know there was a man in the audience who said, I just started an organization called Voice for the Fetus. I have no materials. This will work in the areas of our country where there is no electricity very often. He has now equipped thousands of people in this material. There are babies that are alive now because of this. Jesus wants us to be confident about the name of Jesus. 
Not only that, we need to be confident about one love, not having mixed motivations. You see in Acts 4 that the people, after Peter and John, they powerfully say salvation is found in no one else. Then they say, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. John Stott, a great missiologist that I love, he said that the devil, one of his favorite pastimes is to tip Christians off balance. If he cannot induce us to deny Christ, he will get us to distort Christ instead. There's a great temptation in the West right now to distort Christ. We don't need to distort Christ. He is the answer to the flourishing of humanity. Everyone say the first verse of Genesis with me. Stop. Say Genesis 1-1 again, please. Stop. What is in the beginning? God. Transformation is not just reading theology books. And that is this difficulty if you're in full-time ministry or if you are in a seminary. You're reading about Jesus a lot, aren't you? Thousands of pages reading about Jesus, reading about all these theological things. Great stuff. But the transformation happens when we are with Jesus. When we are a companion of Jesus. When we go into the secret place with the Lord. That is where the transformation happens. That is where you will be someone who someone can say, I take note that that person has been with Jesus. Several years ago, my children probably don't even remember it, I asked my daughter Jolie, I said, which is bigger, my Bible or the world? And she said, well, the world. And I said, well, which came first? She looked at me, she said, I think this came first. She's pretty smart. She said, because it's through the voice that the world was created. And I said, so Jolie, as the world says one thing, and as the word says the other, which should you follow? I ask you, which should you follow, the world or the word? The word lasts forever. And it's in this place with Jesus, we will gain the courage to speak up for Jesus even where and when his name is hated. It is in that secret place you will gain that courage. And you see later on in chapter 4 that they go back to the church and they say, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. We see the courage is coming because of the companionship they have with Jesus. This woman came to training to be equipped as a church planter for four years. She had become a follower of Jesus. Her husband was a Hindu. Her, parent, her in-laws, whom she lived with, were Hindus. And she somehow got permission to go to this meeting where women were being equipped to ch plant churches for four years. She was dying on the inside, though, because she wanted to go plant a church. So she did what all of us would do in that circumstance. She quit eating food. She fasted. One day, two days, three days, four days, communing with her Savior, whom she knew she had the answer, but she was stuck as a prisoner in her home. On the 20th day, still without food, but rich with the Spirit, 
The door knocked. There was a knock at the door. She opened the door and there was a woman selling detergent. Her in-laws bought some clothes detergent. And all of a sudden, the spirit spoke to her and said, sell detergent, get out of the house. And so she went to her in-laws and she said, is it okay if I start a small company and sell clothes detergent going door to door? And they said, as long as you give us all the money. Okay. She began to go along to house by house, talking about what would clean the clothes of the family and what would clean the hearts of their family. She quickly started seven house churches in a persecuted context as an oppressed woman. She then equipped two other women. At the last count, we've received reports for 21 house churches have been planted. Don't underestimate the time in your prayer closet. It is there that you will gain the courage to be out there who you need to be. One name, one love, and last, one audience. The leaders, they called them to them again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Luke 9, 26, it's a verse that I've been thinking about a lot. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory. It's getting harder to live for Jesus. It's always been hard in this 1040 window, but it's becoming harder in the United States. I want to hold on to Jesus and his teachings. It's the place of the flourishing. It's the place of life for all peoples. The world cannot do it better than Jesus. Kierkegaard, you've probably heard of Kierkegaard, he had a saying, the audience of one. The idea was the purity of heart is to will one thing, and so he talked about that those that are in ministry, those of us who are Christians, we need to live our lives with one audience, Jesus Christ. You know, at the end of anything that you do, you're looking for multiple rounds of applause, right? You're looking for lots of sounds of different... Everybody clap. Okay. This isn't to be our goal. This isn't to be our motivation. It's that I don't even see you all standing, sitting there, I see Jesus. Jesus is there. And he's looking to see, will you teach this with the integrity of what I was willing to die for? Will you teach it with what I know brings flourishing to all of humanity? I am the creator in the beginning, God. It's not the multiple sounds of applause. It's this. <laughs> Do you hear Jesus clapping for you? Jesus, that's your audience. For everything you do in life, for the way you teach the word, for the way you love another person, it is Jesus committed to him and to his teachings. Years ago, Chad and I took a delegation of underground house church leaders of China to the Middle East to meet Arab Christian leaders. And these Chinese leaders, they came into the Middle East because they 
are a group of people that understand what it means to be ordinary, to be persecuted, and to stand firm for the one name, the one name, the one love. And so they went to the Arab world, and the Arab world wanted to learn from them. And on the stage, you see three-way translation taking place, three languages. And this Chinese lady who leads 30 million people has been in prison for multiple years. I think there's a, like she can be killed if anyone finds her right now in China. But she stood on the stage and she said, in my country, they tell us in a totalitarian, totalitarian government, they say, you cannot teach this name. You cannot preach this name. Kids under 18 cannot go to the official church. They tell us all of these rules. She said, a totalitarianism tries to get into all aspects of your life. And she said, but this, and she held up her Chinese Bible. And she said, but this tells us to go out and preach the good news to everywhere. And she said, so what do we do in our country with totalitarianism? Well, we just take the word and we go out and preach. She said, and then we go to jail. And there we just go ahead and start another church. One audience. You see, I've told, I've, as I, Chad and I, as we disciple our children, we say, if you are on a fence going this way, this way, with Jesus' teachings and culture, you're just about to fall off all the time. But if you are on the rock of Jesus and his teachings, regardless of our circumstances, we are able to be solid and firm because Jesus holds us still. One name, one love, one audience. God uses the ordinary believers. I want to close with this story. We adopted our youngest child from China. And when we were living in Asia, we decided to go back into China to see the foster mom and the foster dad. We had never gotten to meet her foster mom and dad, who took care of her from day two until 15 months when we got there. And so we wanted to see her. Well, it turns out that when we made the call to try to find out if we could see her, this foster mom was being attacked by her family, ridiculing her about taking care of Chinese orphans and saying, why would you do that with your time? There's better things to do. You've never even seen any of these kids again. And then we make this call and say, can we bring our daughter to see you? Ecstatic. So as we're going, I'm holding Phoebe. Now she's little. And at that time, we adopted her with a cleft lip palate. And they had done some surgeries on her, but she still couldn't pronounce any consonants because the palate wasn't extended long enough. We also didn't know she had some hearing loss, and so she couldn't talk clearly at that time. And so, but I'm holding her, and I'm walking with her. I don't want her to think we're dropping her back off. So I said, Phoebe, we're going to go see where you lived before your forever mommy came to get you. We're going to meet your foster mom and telling her all these things. Well, finally, I said, Phoebe, while we're here, we hope to tell your foster mom about Jesus. As soon as I said that, she pushed back from me and she said, I tell her mommy. I tell her mommy. And in this picture, you see a little Chinese girl who doesn't know the laws of the land, who can't say a consonant, who decides she'll, if you can see her eyes, I don't know if you can see it, she is just, her eyes are looking at the leg of that Chinese foster mommy. She's going after her. And she runs to her and then she grabs her leg 
Remember, Phoebe can't talk very clearly at this time. And the foster mom looks down, and Phoebe looks up, and with complete exuberance, she says, Ia-e-ha-ha! Ia-e-ha-ha! And the Chinese interpreter said, I don't understand. And I said, oh, I, at this time we learned, had learned how to understand. And I said, Phoebe is trying to tell her foster mom uh, the biggest story she knows. And the story is about Jesus and the cross. We went into a restaurant. We're taken into a room just so our families could be together. For two hours, this foster mom heard the good news of Jesus for the first time. She heard it from a four-year-old child who didn't understand all of Jesus. Just an ordinary, she couldn't read, she couldn't speak. But she nailed down Acts 4. She nailed down the gospel into four words. In the beginning, God, four words. Jesus and the cross. That woman for two hours listened to the gospel. And at one of the most penetrating moments of the gospel presentation, Phoebe, who's been running around the room and climbing everything she can find, goes to her foster mom and puts her hand on her leg, and she says, Ayu, thank you, Ami, my foster mom. The foster mommy begins to cry. And after the conversation, she said, I have lived in fear all of my life. Maybe this is the person, the God, I've been looking for. You see, you don't have to be the most brilliant, the most beautiful, the most athletic. You need to be the ordinary person that gets into the secret place with Jesus and says, I am committed to the name of Jesus. I am committed to Jesus Christ in the companionship with him. And I am committed to living my life until I am called home, listening for this sound. If you do that, you will be an ordinary believer who works to change the world as Jesus works inside of you. Go to Jesus, and from the outflow of Jesus in you, go change the world.